Hi everyone, this is Yin, and welcome to Growth and Failure. This show highlights extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up. I'll have conversations with a wide range of profiles from entrepreneurs and athletes, investors to educators, you name it. I love hearing people's different journeys. For me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow come from the struggle, the pain, the defeat. And I hope hearing these stories inspire you to not fear that messy middle or failure, but rather motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. For more information, please visit growthandfailure.com for more updates. And please write a review if you can. They really do help other people find this show. Thanks for listening. This is the story of Nikki Jackson, CEO and founder of RangeMe. In this episode, we discussed Nikki's amazing journey. She had this fantastic career in marketing, working with large global brands like Kellogg's and Pepsi and Jim Beam. And in 2013, she developed a baby skincare product for one of her kids that had an issue with eczema. And after creating it, she discovered a problem. How do I get this product to major retailers? Now, at the time, there was no platform that allowed for suppliers to connect with retailers other than cold calls or outreach or LinkedIn emails and expensive trade shows if you could afford it. And so she created a product discovery platform called RangeMe. Now, using RangeMe's product proposal templates and their technology allows for suppliers to provide retailers with the right product information at the right time. Now, 10 years later, RangeMe has over 200,000 suppliers with a million products and works with 80% of retailers. It's just incredible what Nikki and her team have built. Please enjoy this interview with the delightful Nikki Jackson. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. And I want to thank Jerry Sue for the wonderful introduction. I know we've been trying to play Scheduled Touchers for a while now. This is a long time coming. I remember when we first started talking about my podcast a couple of years ago, he's like, you need to get Nikki Jackson on your podcast. <laughs> it was so sweet. He was like, she is so inspiring to me and my team, but also just someone that I think most people would love the story of. And so thank you to Jerry for the wonderful introduction. That's so kind. Jerry is inspiring to me. He's an incredible part of the Range Me team. And we absolutely are so grateful for him and all the work he does every day for our bi community. He's a rock star in my eyes too. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> I love it. The listeners would have heard a little blurb about you and Range Me, but before we get into that, it'll be 10 years, I believe, this year that it's celebrating its anniversary. So amazing decade of growth. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> I always like to start with people's background stories because my listeners love a good childhood background story. So if you can share where you grew up. I was born in South Africa. Everyone always asks me where I get my accent from. <laughs> it's a combination of an Australian accent. I lived in London for a while and I was born in South Africa. So I have a very mixed accent. And I, of course, lived in San Francisco for a number of years. I was born in South Africa, also a migrant family because we immigrated to Australia when I was six years old. I had to watch my parents start from scratch. My dad joined a new business. He was always in the rag trade, which is like the textile trade, but very entrepreneurial himself and had to watch my parents start from scratch and leave a country which was their home for many years to make a better life for us here. I think that also brought with itself a lot of great lessons to me as an adult and as a parent as well. Liv has lived in Sydney ever since then, went to school here, 
studied commerce after school, uh, majored in marketing and human resources. So was always interested in more of the people side of things and of the marketing part of the commerce. The economics and the accounting was more of a means to the end. I really did not love that part of it. (laughs) Finished university. And while I was in university, I got my first job working as a marketing assistant to the marketing director at Jim Beam Brands. So while everyone was partying it up at university, I had a corporate job between lectures and I would go and be the marketing assistant to the marketing director, which I thought was a very cool gig as a young person to get paid to do something really fun and cool. It's funny how things work out that I ended up moving to America, Raunting Rangery there because I was working with Americans very early on in my career and then continued to stay in the CPG space, in the brand space. Did a quick stint in London, as a lot of good Australians do, after finishing my degree and worked for two years there, working on some big brands like Pepsi over there and also RHM Foods. Bisto, which is their largest gravy brand over there, as you can imagine, in the UK, (laughs) gravy is a very big category. And it actually has boded well for my conversations now with UK retailers because I can understand the UK retail landscape because I physically live there. And then got married to an entrepreneur who is an accountant by background, but a serial entrepreneur. I've always had an entrepreneurial flair my whole life, probably came from my father. When I was at university, I was launching a business for moving vehicles. So basically, when I worked at Jim Beam, we did a lot of outdoor campaigns to target the younger audience. And what we would do is we would put these big billboards on these cars that would move around the city. And I thought to myself, how crazy is that, that these billboard cars are just moving around the city just to advertise to people, what if we wrapped and branded courier vehicles that were already going around the city and they could earn extra income and it'd be like two for one, kind of like what they did on taxis at the time. But I thought, how cool, these couriers are already driving around, let's do that. Jim Beam was my first client and I wrapped a few vehicles to launch one of their new products. I remember that so clearly wrapping those three vehicles. I think the value of the campaign was $40,000, which is like a 20-year-old. That was a lot of money. And then I started talking to some of the big media houses to try and sell in my business. And I found it quite difficult because it wasn't trackable or measurable. And a lot of the big brands wanted to see the ROI. I thought to myself, okay, I should go back to corporate life, get a bit more experience and then work out what I wanted to do. So I've always been interested in business. I've always wanted to own my own business and do my own thing, but I dabbled in and out of it. That was my first entree into it was that media business that I started at the age of 20, which is called Frequency Media. I should try to find the, <laughs> the old logos from it. The Range Me story came to be when I was on maternity leave with my second child. I've got two children, Dylan and Ashley. Ashley was my second born and she had terrible eczema as a baby. I was using an organic skincare cream to help ease her eczema flare-ups from a local chemist, a local pharmacy that was compounding this cream. I approached the chemist and I said to him, what is in this cream that you're compounding? And he said, it's olive oil extract and all these other things. And I said, would you mind if I took that formulation and tried to produce a product? Because I think it's so great at stopping her flare-ups. I know people are coming all over the town just to get this cream, which is in a clear bottle called the moisturizer. I said, I'll give you a royalty if you give me the formulation. He said, Nikki, I've known you for many years. I don't (laughs) want a royalty, but here's the formulation. Go for it. I was like, that's amazing. So off I went, as many of our suppliers in our range platform do, and I found a co-manufacturer in Brisbane. At the time, I was living in Australia. It's like an hour and a half flight away. And I found a packaging company, and I found another company to help me develop the packaging. I caught a Derma Baby, 
I remember the packaging was green because of the olive oil extract and I put together a whole pitch deck and sales deck and I tried to get it in front of the retailers. All the big retail chains, I was knocking on their doors into the baby categories, into the baby buyers. I was doing what every entrepreneur would do, go into LinkedIn, find out who they are, try and email them, try and send them samples and basically got crickets back. Nothing, no responses. I was so frustrated and so upset. I was like, but this is the best miracle cream and I want more mothers to be able to have it in their hands. It was at that point when I thought to myself, I'm not the only one struggling as an entrepreneur, as an emerging brand. There has to be hundreds, thousands of brands out there who are struggling to get a foot in the door at retail. And what I did at that time was I actually started researching the pain points with some of the retailers that I knew in other categories from my work at Kellogg's, where I was working before I started Range Me when I was actually on maternity leave. I was researching the pain points and they were in the food categories because I was working on breakfast cereal at the time. What came to be very quickly is they were saying to me, they're inundated with these new suppliers, emailing them, calling them, sending them unsolicited samples. But quite frankly, they didn't have the time to review these submissions and look at them. But the category was changing. And this is 10 years ago. The category was changing. They were looking for innovation from smaller players. But the process of them finding them, aside from going to a trade show, was just quite inefficient and time consuming. And so I thought to myself, there has to be an easier way to make the two connect. And it was at the same time where pre Instagram, I think this is like pre Uber, this is pre dating apps. I think one of the first dating apps was to start Tinder had just launched. I sound ancient. This is a long time ago. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, in CPG and retail, there hasn't been much technology that has been done to help make their life simpler. It was Excel spreadsheets and telephone calls. I actually launched an MVP for the product that I wanted to launch called Range Me, put my savings into it and launched the MVP, got it up and running in a very quick amount of time. And that's one of my biggest learnings and things that I always say to founders is launch what you can to get your users using it. And then you can put more money into it to iterate and improve it based on feedback. I think if you wait for the perfect solution, you'll never launch. That's one of my favorite quotes from Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn, that if your product is perfect, you've launched too late. And that is the truth because you need to launch and iterate and beat your competitors to the market. We launched Range Me very quickly. My husband would help me at nighttime. He'd come back from his day job and we would work at night together in the little sitting area, which was in our kids' playroom to all hours. It was just how Range Me was born, just the two of us in a room. And I would put the kids to sleep, run downstairs, send a blast of emails out to buyers put another kid to sleep and send a blast of email out to suppliers and just travel around Australia trying to get on board all the retailers that I could at the time. It was only when I got Coles, which is the biggest retailer here and one of the biggest globally on board that I thought to myself, oh, this is actually not just a side hustle. This is a real business. That was quite a pivotal point in my journey. I have so many questions. <laughs> Going back, what is MVP? Minimal viable product, prototype almost. <laughs> What came first as you're blasting both to the supplier side, but also to the retailers? Was it a thousand suppliers who were like, here's my stationery store, my skincare, my beef jerky versus like one anchor of a retailer that said, I need this so bad. But what came first in terms of big momentum? What came first was the retailer side. One of my investors in the early days said to me, it's like a dance. If you have the girls there, the boys will come. And the retailers are the girls. They are the ones that the suppliers want. In a two-sided marketplace, I had to secure the retailer partnerships in order to attract the suppliers. That definitely came first. 
I am pretty good at selling and pretty good with people. So I feel it was a journey to get them on board. It happened probably a lot quicker than I anticipated. Probably as any tech platform in the early days, the platform isn't quite right. There were obviously issues where some of the earlier retailers didn't get the best experience as compared to some of the later retailers, but they brought so much to the platform in terms of the learning that we were able to bring on. How did you come up with the name? It's interesting. In Australia, getting ranged, you get listed in Australia, whereas in the US, you get listed. And then when we launched in the US, someone said range is like a range hood, like a kitchen appliance. Well, it's a B2B platform. Firstly, so it doesn't really matter what it's called. And secondly, we wanted to eventually launch into the UK and range is the same in the UK as it is in Australia. That's how Range Me came to be. I'm so glad I asked that. Before Range Me, because now it's almost a decade old business, it's a really convenient place for both sides to find each other. But before that, what was the biggest way that your skincare or any other small good could find a supplier? Was it just cold calling and emailing and LinkedIn or going to trade shows? Going to a trade show, but only if you could afford it. Sending unsolicited samples, LinkedIn, and cold emails. That was it. Or if you were really serious, you could actually partner with a broker or an agent or a distributor. But quite frankly, they do definitely take percentages of your margin, 10, 15%. Some brands can't afford it. They also only take brands on when they have a certain amount of distribution. So the brand has to be at a certain point in order to grab their attention as well. It's really difficult to be a brand. That was 10 years ago. You've got your first main retailer. How long after you started Range Me did that first main retailer sign on? It was a matter of weeks before some of the big retailers in Australia started signing on. Coles was a pivotal moment because when we launched with Coles, I got an article in what, the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal in Australia, the Financial Review. It was at that point that I was connected to US investors and I hadn't raised capital until that point. I was like, this is going to be a side hustle. I'm going to do this as a side business with my kids and I'm going to be able to go to the gym and I don't have to go back to corporate. (laughs) And my husband was in a venture backed business and he's like, let's just keep this as gals and not raise capital. And everything just happened before my eyes very quickly and before I knew it, we were pitching to investors. So it's crazy. It's amazing. What did you spend that venture capital money on first? Was it technology to get the ecosystem built up? Was it people? Yeah, it was tech and people. So we initially outsourced our tech. We did it locally. We chose to spend a little bit more on the MVP and pay for an in-house company within Australia to do it. There were a lot of offshore options, but we just knew that it would impact our speed to market and the quality potentially. It was a really great thing that we did because when we got on board our CTO, we were able to still use our agency until we were ready and resourced enough to let them go. Definitely, it was for tech and then also people, just more hands on deck. So what's been the evolution of the business now? There's Coles, there's Target, there's all these major retailers. It's crazy. The evolution was... After raising the initial capital for Australia, we then realized we got on board some US investors like Ido Leffler and Lance Kalish, who were successful entrepreneurs in America. They were Australians that had launched successful big CPG brands in America. And they said to us, you've got to come out to America because they'll love what you're doing. No one's doing what you're doing. So we actually went out and did a few visits in America and met with some of the influential retailers, Target, and a number of others. And we actually did a roadshow where we visited Target, CVS, Rite Aid, Walmart, and maybe one or two others in the space of five or six days. It was insane. We flew over to the US just to meet them all. Bum, 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 bum. And Target were the first to say, yep, we need this. We're looking for innovation. There at the time had an innovation program where they were really focused on 
bringing innovative category leaders into their categories to drive growth. And so they were the first to say, yep, we need Range Me. So we launched first with them. On the way back from that trip, we told our family, we're packing up our bags. And I moved across to America with a two-year-old, a four-year-old, packed up our whole house. My husband left his startup and joined Range Me. He was on the COO side, the operational side. Before we knew it, we were on the plane on the way to like the unknown land <laughs> of San Francisco. I remember hitting the ground running. It was crazy. Incredible. So what do the numbers look like now in terms of retailers, suppliers, if you can share? We have over 200,000 suppliers in the platform, so over a million products. We work with over 80% of the leading US retailers, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Target, Ulta Beauty, Sephora, all the regional grocers, all the smaller grocers. We work with all the retailers across all categories, food, beverage, beauty, health, and also general merchandise. This last year, we launched into the UK where we work with Tesco, we work with Co-op, we work with Boots, we work with a whole lot of the mass retailers over in the UK, which is quite amazing. In 2017, we were acquired by one of our competitors that physically match buyers and suppliers strategically in sessions, and we were the virtual arm of the business. The business has definitely grown in size in terms of people and growing in size in terms of numbers and just continue to get bigger and better. I think COVID was a turning point for our business because we became a necessity for our industry to grow and thrive because people physically could not travel. I'll never forget that point when Walmart sent an email around to their buyers saying, Range Me is where you need to go to source because travel is now banned. And now today, I think we've had our fourth consecutive year, fifth consecutive year of managing their entire Walmart Made in America campaign. And we work really closely with them. So it's been a, a crazy journey. There's always challenges that come along. My role has definitely shifted as the years have gone on from being very operational to now being more of the founder and the face of the business. But it's been incredible to watch. And I think what's most exciting to me is seeing the brands and their success, because I think without the platform, they never would have had that. And that's exciting. That's incredible. If you're either a supplier or a retailer or Walmart, for example, and you have your skincare product, what does it look like now in terms of how you would get your eczema cream that you created 10 years ago in the eyes of Walmart? There's a directory, but how would you facilitate that? Definitely not a directory. It's an interactive marketplace between a buyer and supplier. So a supplier will set, will upload their product information, tell the platform everything about it, certifications, indicative pricing, where they're currently distributed, a brief description, unique selling propositions, beautiful imagery, where they can distribute, what states they can distribute, what markets they can distribute to, all of that information. And then the platform cleverly matches those credentials up with the buyer's credentials. So it is a matching platform. And then within the platforms, retailers also have specific sourcing leads and sourcing campaigns. It may be the Walmart Made in America campaign. It may be the Kroger Fresh campaign. It may be the, the Target Baby campaign. And suppliers that are relevant in those categories can actually actively submit to those campaigns where those buyers are coming in for a limited amount of time to review those submissions and then select those suppliers they want to move forward with and physically meet. And then we help even facilitate the actual meetings between the buyers and suppliers. So we can go all the way through the chain. That's the way RangeMe is operating today. And that's physically how it works. It is a platform. And then within the platform, the suppliers can also actively externally share their RangeMe profile. They can gain insights into how their profile is being viewed by buyers and they can really take charge of their B2B selling. So when you look at your career that would focus before on marketing and working with major brands, so it was Jim Beam, I think you mentioned Bistro Gravy, Kellogg, 
working at some of those bigger brands, if you were to give advice to any of the entrepreneurs who are coming up with unique selling characteristics so that a retailer could say, ah, that was written well or captivating. What are some of those common characteristics? I think it's about coming up with something that is different to what's currently out there. In the early days, I just remember some suppliers being disgruntled. Like I put my products in range, me and I've had no success. Well, you're just another tea brand. Then what's unique about you? Is it that you have unique packaging format? Is it that you've recreated the category? Is it that you have a unique flavor profile? Is it that you're focusing on health benefits like sleep or wellness? It's really about seeing what is out there in the market and what you can do differently to create incremental value to the retailers and their categories. I think it's about not being a me too, but really focusing on where the gaps are and where the opportunities are. And I think that's what a lot of suppliers need to focus on. And then they need to focus on understanding the retailer. Who do they want to go after? Why that retailer and why is their product a good fit for them? Every retailer is definitely different. A lot of my advice is do your research. Find out who you want to target and why you want to target them and show them that you understand them. Because I think that's probably a big frustration for a lot of retailers is that suppliers just want to get in everywhere. and that's not the reality. And a lot of retailers want to find differentiated products. They want to find supplies that aren't mass distributed yet. And they want to find those diamonds in the rough. They want to become famous for reinventing categories because they found those diamonds in the rough. And I think that's what a lot of category buyers strive for. Jerry, a couple of years ago, I'd mentioned that one of the cool features is that as the supplier goes, you could tag certain data and information. If you're female or underrepresented talent and you're one of those owners, just to highlight a little bit more. So I love that you guys have that ability. Approval certifications, minority-owned businesses. Yeah, we definitely do highlight and promote those to our retailers, depending on what they're looking for. What are some of the trends you've seen in the past 10 years of products? So whether it's skincare or how the products and the shifts have moved, if there are any trends, whether there's more interest in organic things or female and minority businesses, what are trends that you've seen in the past decade? What's changed is in the early days, organic or USDA was unique or fair trade. And now it's like a cost of entry. It's almost like it's that expected tick. And your product almost has to have more than that. A lot of retailers are looking for that as a base level. And then what else do you have on top of that? Sustainability is definitely very important. I think it's very important to today's consumer and therefore very important to the retailers because they have their own expectations of how they want to create and carry sustainable products. I think also too is diversity in ownership of suppliers. So they want to make sure that they carry a certain amount of diverse suppliers in their portfolio and their range. And so we post a lot of diversity programs and summits where these retailers are actively looking for these diverse suppliers, whether they're veteran-owned, women-owned, whatever that diversity angle is. So I think those are really important. It's not so much about the health side. It's like all the other layers they come with. And there's been crazy trends. We send out trend reports. Because the platform is the place where the new brands go, we see the trends before they're actually unearthed. Keto and paleo and all that, we saw that well before it came out into market because these products were in the platform, the buyers were searching. So it really is a great place to see where these trends are unearthing. You'd mentioned there's about a million products, but around 200,000 suppliers. What are the buckets or categories in that? So is it mostly food? Is it skincare? It's mainly food, beverage, beauty, and health and general merchandise. We do span into other categories like home improvement. We work with Lowe's, for example, and Home Depot, those types of retailers. It can span into other categories, but I would say food, beverage, beauty, health are the key. And specialties are like pet, for example. 
What are some things about the industry you can share that would surprise people that wouldn't be in the business that wouldn't know? So here's the group of retailers, here's suppliers, maybe anything in between that you think would be interesting that you didn't know until you started and you really discovered, oh, I didn't know that about anything. When I first started at RangeMe, I think what was surprising to me was the lack of diversity, particularly on the retailer side, I have to say. And I think that's definitely changed. I'm really happy to see it, especially because I used to present a lot at the top to top level where it was white male. And I think that has definitely changed. I think a lot of the retailers have really made a considered effort to change it. I've seen a considerable shift in that, which has been great. They're not only talking about it, but they're actually making change. With that also came the shock of how old school the industry was in the early days, handshakes, pen and paper. I'm sure they were running off fax machines. So how old school (laughs) that industry was, was also quite a shock to me. How much it did take for us to influence the change, train the buyers to use digital first. So I think that has been a big shock. And I think that even in the UK, for example, in the early days of me selling to them, this is like just as COVID hit, I physically went to the UK to meet with a lot of them. And then when I had virtual meetings, a lot of them were using Skype. And I was like, oh my God, like I can't remember the last <laughs> And then COVID hit and they all were like MS Teams or Zoom. And so they all became digitally transformed and digitally enabled. I've seen a huge shift in that because it was really, really, really old school before. I feel like there's been a lot of great digital enablement. And with that openness to technologies and solutions to help streamline and make things simpler like RangeMe. I could ask you hours and hours of more questions on RangeMe. Maybe I'll we'll limit it to a couple more and then I'll switch to the questions I ask everybody. But with RangeMe, you mentioned that you live in Australia and the UK and the States. Are there any insights in terms of each of those areas and the way that the products are or the marketing are both in terms of interesting segments? So the reason why we chose this market is there's so much uniformity in the pain points. The pain points are no different from the US to the UK to Australia. The biggest difference in the US is the, the market size. There are just so many retailers, there's so many more suppliers. And so I feel like had we not launched our business into the US, the business never would have survived. Had I not taken that leap of faith and taken the risk, we wouldn't have had the vibing business we have today. So I am very grateful for the American dream and to be able to move to America because there is so much hunger for innovation and there's a lot of competition. The retailers are competing to find something new and different. And I really loved the energy and the hunger for innovation and also the openness to me as a female entrepreneur to understand about Range Me, the technology. I was blown away by the openness of Americans to learn and to want to adopt new things to make their life simpler. So absolutely will always have a very soft spot for Americans and for working in America and then in a love for it because it really was groundbreaking and it was exciting and they were very warm and welcoming. But I would say definitely the pain points exist across the board. I would say the Australian market, they're just more complacent, less competitive, and the retailers can be a lot more painful from that perspective because they don't have to compete as much. The UK, I think, is a lot more similar to the US, although the UK is a lot more developed when it comes to private label. That presents its own challenges for brands because they have to compete with the big CPGs, the big FMCGs, and then, of course, the retailers' private labels. They have to work a lot harder to find their little spot. This summer will mark the 10-year anniversary. Congratulations on that. I have so many friends who have products and trying to figure out where to do it. And so now a friend's wife had mentioned, have you heard of this company, Range Me? Because my wife actually just listed her company on there and it's 
Goose Lane Designs, but it's a beautiful stationary company that would have never been able to find a way to match a supplier. So that's fantastic. You've mentioned that RangeMe works with 80% of the retailers and has 200,000 suppliers. What's next for RangeMe? For us, it's really about focusing on our core business and continuing to develop and iterate and launch more features to make our retailers and suppliers a lot more efficient. Obviously, the global expansion piece is also a big focus. So expansion into the UK and into Europe. Switching gears to the questions I ask everyone, starting with who or what inspires you? Female entrepreneurs inspire me the same way as they do you. I think that it is harder to be a female and to be an entrepreneur and to juggle family and kids. And I think those that have truly successfully done it and have made it truly inspire me. So I follow Sarah Blakely from Spanx. And I just love her story because she was also hit with so much adversity in the early days and the people that said, no, this is not going to work. And we all have had that. I've had that many times. People said, oh, this is not going to work. And what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Those are the people that really, really inspire me. Founder of Bumble, people that have had adversity and have risen above it to succeed. Anyone who really has made it on their own and has not had handouts from family and have really strived to succeed for themselves and they've had the grit and determination, they really inspire me. I know in our prior conversation, we were talking about failure and the F word, but I love Sarah Blakely's story because her dad apparently would ask her at dinner time every day, what did you fail at today? And it was the same question that Carol Dweck encouraged us to ask. And I just love that because the idea is just keep pushing, keep failing, but keep progressing and growing. Absolutely love that. Did you have a mentor or role model growing up? Not growing up, but I think that within Range Me, I definitely had mentors along the way who I utilized and who definitely played a role. So I had Great board members, the sounding boards, some not great board members, but that's a story for another time. But <laughs> some really great board members, it all left left, for example, or another really supportive investor from Australia, Zach Rosenberg, and then uh, some great US investors who were also fantastic and just really great sounding boards through the roller coaster of Range Me. Other great mentors and successful entrepreneurs in Australia, like David Shane, who always had bite-sized information nuggets for me all the time that really resonated and helped get me through the journey. And another one very early on, Andrew Reitzer, who was a retail expert in Australia, who was also a great sounding board. So I had lots of people that I could, interestingly enough, all of them were men, which is quite funny. But it was more about who they were and what they were offering me to help range me get where it was and succeed. And there's different mentors and different people for different things, I think was really key. And then having those strong friendships and those people that you could rely on to get through the highs and lows of startup life, which I think is the biggest roller coaster ever. (laughs) Well, speaking of roller coaster, also just being a working mom, that's a huge part of it. I heard not balance everything because it's hard to do, but versus integrate work-life integration versus work-life balance. Going back to you, so you're a fabulous working mom. You had an amazing career as a brand marketer and then started Range Me, which is wildly successful. What are you most proud of? Gosh, what I'm most proud of is that my kids have been able to see a good example at home. My husband joined Range Me, as I said, and we actually built the business up together. And so they've seen a lot of gender balance in our house where mom is the CEO, dad is the COO. And I think that I've got a photo, for example, of when we sold the business to ECRM, my son opened the newspaper and there was an article and a picture of me and he was just like, that's my mom? Deep down, they are very proud. And I think that it shows them that they can do anything. I think that's what I'm most proud of. And then there's these other moments where you just think, that's range me. Like someone successfully launched a skincare product in Australia and wants to get distribution overseas. And 
She says to me, Nikki, I've tried to reach out to Ulta Beauty, Sephora, all the big beauty retailers, and they're all telling me to put their products in range of me. Is this a real thing? And I'm like, yeah, that's what you need to do. So when those things happen, it kind of hits home that the platform lives and breathes still today, 10 years on, is influential, has changed an industry, and is helping so many suppliers get a foot in the door. That is what I'm really proud of. Fabulous. What is your superpower? Connecting with people is my superpower. I thrive off people. I love meeting people. I love hearing their story. I will never remember a name. I will always remember a face. I will always remember a story. And I think building relationships has been my key superpower. And that's how I managed to get on board all the influential retailers in the US through the way that I have, the personal nature, and the way I'm a very passionate person. So I remember my years of working at Kellogg's, the feedback I always got from senior management was that I was hugely passionate. And I think obviously, because Range Me was my baby, when I was selling to retailers and trying to get a foot in the door, I'm a hustler. And obviously, selling, I'm very passionate because I believed in the product and what we were trying to do. That is definitely my superpower. If you could speak to Nikki right after university, what would you tell her? all going to be okay. Stop stressing. It'll all work its way out. I've been through a lot of ups and downs in my life, as I'm sure many people have. And it's just more about the reassurance that just enjoy the journey because it'll all work out somehow. Throughout the Range Me journey, there were obviously moments of uncertainty and doubt. My husband and partner always said to me, it's okay. It's all going to work out. I promise you, I see it. I know it. Don't worry about it. I think that always reassured me and made me feel like even when the cash balance was like almost zero and <laughs> the shit was hitting the fan, it's all going to be okay. And then you'd have this shittest moment and you'll be sweeping yourself off the floor. And then you get an email from a big retailer saying, yep, we want to jump on board. What's next steps? And you'll be like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I think it's been an interesting balance of managing the highs and the lows. Speaking of the lows and the highs, the name of the show is Growth From Failure. We've heard a little bit of the struggle in terms of starting a business and the catalyst behind that is you couldn't find this access for your skincare that you created for your daughter. If you can share with our listeners one of the most impactful failure or struggle that you had, whether it was through Range Me or before that prompted the most growth, because I used to ask this question to guests and I said, can you just share your biggest failure? And I've evolved the question to be incorporating growth because so much of the struggle has ended up giving people growth. In Australia, we had a pay to play model. If you came in as a supplier, you'd have to pay, but you'd get four weeks free if you came through a retailer. And in the US, when we were launching there, the retailers were like, it doesn't matter. You don't need the four weeks free. Every supplier can pay. And I'm like, oh my God, that is amazing. Legally, they weren't as worried about suppliers paying. And in Australia, they were more conservative. And I said to our team, that's just amazing. We're going to be printing money because all the retailers are going to be coming, all the suppliers are going to be coming through and they're going to be paying us straight away. We launched over there and we had this payment gateway. And what would happen is suppliers would come through and just die. They'd fall away. They're like, they don't know range me. They're not going to put their credit cards in. We were losing so many suppliers at that payment gateway. We'd just moved to San Francisco. We'd put everything on the line. Our kids were starting new schools. I was completely drained. My health was taking a hit because I was so sick from actually the move, the physical move. I was just really unwell and I was working like a dog. <laughs> we need to make a change. This is just not working. And I remember having a conversation with Idol, Daryl and me at this special place in San Francisco that Idol used to go and work out of. And we were like, we have to go free. We have to get as many supplies in the platform to make sure that our retailers are happy. And then we'll work out a way to charge them to add value. 
But at the moment, this is just not working. I thought to myself, oh my God, how am I going to give up the fact that suppliers are paying? I'm used to getting all these invoices through overnight since the beginning of the business. And we had faith. We just had to do something. And so we took away the payment gateways and the suppliers were flooding in. And what happened at that moment was we went from onboarding 100 new suppliers a week to 1,000 suppliers a week, and then quickly to 4,000 suppliers a week. And so the growth on the supplier side was incredible. The retailers were then like, this is amazing. We're seeing so much innovation in the platform. We can't access this innovation elsewhere. But then came the other problem. Well, how do we sit through to find the golden nuggets? So we had to create all these cool features in the platform to help them do that. That failure to grow was real moment for me because it was scary. It could have gone the wrong way. And it was a really instrumental turning point to our growth in our business. Forever grateful for that conversation with Ido and Dow at that time and for making that change because it really did change the face of the business. Uh, two more questions. This could be applied personally or professionally of how much you want to grow range me or even for you, but what does success mean to you? At the point in my life, I feel success for me is to be able to be with my family and choose how I spend my time on range me and also doing side passion projects that I love to do. So success for me is not the monetary wealth that I've gained from doing what I've done. It's the ability to choose and the ability to be there with my kids in the afternoons and to be present as a mom because so much of the early days as an entrepreneur has always made the choice of being present. I would go on the field trip and then work late at night. But the person that actually sacrificed was me and my health during those years. But I always made sure my children came first and the business came first. Now, for me, it's having that ability to look after myself and my health. I work out every day. I do meditation. I take care of myself. And I think that is success for me. And then health, because I feel without health, we have nothing. And so many people recently have got cancer or passed away. And it's a real wake up call that you've got to just treasure the moments because you don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what's going to happen. And you just have to really enjoy everything you have and be grateful and practice that every day if you can. I'm so glad you mentioned health because a lot of people, when I've asked this question, and it's a newer question that I've added, it's a nice way for all the people who are wildly successful to then reflect. And the common theme seems to be health, both mental health and physical health, because ultimately you can't do anything else without that. And one entrepreneur I met, she was working so hard, doing really well, but her hair started falling out. And she's like, your body is telling you, just take a pause. And so after she did, during COVID, her hair started coming back. You know what? This is a good lesson for me. I developed a health condition as well as a result of the stress. I'm now managing that. And thank God it's not debilitating or life-threatening, but it is a constant reminder about that. And it's crazy. So I really made sure that the business didn't ever miss out and my kids didn't miss out, but the person that was really sacrificed was me. And now I get to focus on myself, which is great. Also, my kids are older. (laughs) Makes it easier. And last question, what's next for Nikki Jackson? For me, I want to be doing more of the same. I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but I've actually started a story to shelf podcast myself within the platform. So I think that's really exciting. I get to talk to entrepreneurs and that's what gets me excited. These are entrepreneurs that have a great story and also have had success within our platform or success within the retail landscape. So I think bringing those stories to life is exciting. Just like you, it's great to meet with people that are doing interesting and fun things. That's what I'm really focused on now. And who knows what will happen in the future, but just continuing to build and expand into Europe is what I'm focused on as well. I love it. Well, Nikki, thank you so much. I had a blast in this conversation. I've loved meeting you. Thanks so much. And thank you, Jerry, for connecting us.